All right, Steve, we are into bonus time. We're into the Q&A session. This is where you, the listener, the watcher, I guess now at this point, get to drive the show. Comments, questions are all welcome within reason. Within reason. Hey, look, I'm low energy today. Look at this. Because it's always I put the ones that pick on you up usually. You just but come I'm, from work, or are you about to go to work? No, I so I work. Okay, I worked last night. I go to work. I worked yesterday. I go to work tonight. I'm all over the place this week. But the time changed, you guys. You know that whole spring forward, fall back thing. Yeah, we don't do that here. So now it's a six hour time difference. So I had to get up at the crack of unreasonable this morning to be ready for this so yeah my coffee didn't kick in right away so yes i was a little low energy i apologize i'll do better all right i'm sorry i love daylight savings time man. see mr e gets it during the regular season it's more about coverage than live broadcast thanks mr e yeah that's what i was trying to get across i appreciate you we're gonna be Ronnie here for Snyder. you guys every step of the way for sure Ronnie Snyder says if uh, Jose Barrero can be like Concepcion, he'll take that all day long. Well, yeah. I don't know I that think Jose he's got Barrero is ever going to hit 300. No, and, no, no. And, Jose, and, that's and the, Jose Barrero has more power. You're right. That's the big difference here. Jose Barrero's got more power, and he's going to hit for less average. I think, you know, the, the best projection we could have, that if Jose Barrero figures this out, he's probably going to hit – 260 but he's gonna slug like you know 450 460 something like that i i think we're looking at a dude who could be a very serviceable you know back end of the lineup type dude <laughs> so there's the comments are great 70 percent of conception would would work yeah i i agree yeah no and, and that's no i know what you're saying jeff i mean you're not saying he's gonna be davy conception you're it's just the beginning saying of that career. yeah right and it's interesting to note too, because, and it's a statistic that David Concepcion fans are not going to like. It's a statistic that you and I love OPS plus his first three years, David Concepcion was under a hundred all three years. And it was like 70, 55 and like 60. How timely with your OPS plus reference, uh, Jared on vinyl says the Reds would be in a great, a good place. If Barrero posted anything near 100 for OPS plus or league average. So uh, I think his OPS plus last year was 11. <laughs> so, yeah. so nowhere to go but up, baby. Nowhere, nowhere to go, but, to up, go but up. Carlton says the big red machine could also support a light hitter. This is true. They weren't relying yeah. on Davey to be a, a run producer to drive in guys. Uh, you know, again, it's a different era of baseball. They were looking at him as defense first. And I mean, when you've got all those other guys ripping the ball up in the lineup, you know, if Davey gets on, great. It's a bonus. If he doesn't get on, but get you that put out in the next half inning, then that's great. Uh, I and, can. And and people didn't cover the minor leagues back then the way they do now. Like there was no such thing as prospect rankings, or if there were, there weren't like widely reported or anything. And I don't ever think there was a situation where Davey Concepcion was considered like the top prospect in their system or a top 50 prospect in all of baseball. So, yeah, the expectations are much higher for Jose Barrero, and he's got more to live up to. But I just I, – I, I, made, I made that point to say this, is that I feel like we haven't given him enough time. for, And there's so many Reds fans right now that are just like, yeah, we're done with him. Get rid of him. Like, I, and I saw, too, um, shout out to our buddy Scott Campbell. He, he had mentioned that, you know, the, 
uh, Mariners are in need of a shortstop. And he said, should the Reds try and trade Jose Barrero? And I'm like, I mean, maybe you're literally trading on potential. And I don't even know that they're giving you anything for that. Yeah. And that's, that's one of those deals where we talk about where you're like, oh my God, that dude's terrible. Let's trade him. And you're like, well, who's going to take him? Well, Jose Barrero's not been great. So, I yeah. mean, you might could get somebody to do a trade of scenery prospect swap kind of thing, but you'd be getting just the same amount of project work back in return. I'm not quite ready to give up on Jose Barrero. I don't think Austin. And I think maybe if he, yeah, sorry. sorry. Austin questions his defense too. He says if Burrow were a stellar defender, he'd be okay waiting on him so far. He's not been great. Austin goes on to say, or am I wrong about his defense? I've not been looking at stats, just recalling from last year. How would you rate Barrero defensively right now? Inconsistent. I mean, I, I think that he makes really good plays, but there's also some plays where it's like, that seems pretty routine and he kind of botched it. And I think there's an element of, man, I've been struggling at the plate a lot. I got to overcompensate with this. And then he gets inside his head too much. Like as somebody who sucked at fielding in high school, I can tell you, you get in your head a little bit if you start making errors and one error turns into two or three, if you're not careful. So I, I think that, you know, coming up through the minors, his glove was considered a strength. His arm was considered a strength. It's just because we've seen so many different struggles from him at the plate, it feels like it's kind of creeped into his fielding game a little bit. Mark says another Friday that Aristides Aquino makes an appearance. <laughs> I, that is two in a row. I don't know why. That I, keeps I was on a guy. show and I, I won't. I'm not going to call the guy out for it. It was, and I've, I've had fun talking with this guy before, but hit one of his first questions was, what do we expect from Aristides Aquino this season? And I'm like, I expect him to do really well in Japan. So <laughs> he's just like, you yeah, just answer funny. the first question. We're just like, well, thanks for having me. I'm- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, he's not here anymore. Thankfully. Malachi asking about Spencer Steer. Let's let's move off of Barrero for a little while. I'm sure it'll come he back up as we work the through day this. by Cowboy. Uh, Spencer Steer. Yeah, I see. I, I wish I got the radio broadcast. So you know, I use the MLB.tv app. In mm-hmm. spring, the audio feeds aren't available in the app all the time like they are during the regular season. And in order to make it work, I have to find multiple apps and sync and do and. I just don't. I listen to the visitors broadcast at that point. But he says, are we worried about Spencer Steer's defense? Did it have anything to do with his defense or what was the. It's a little bit of that. Um, There was a it was kind of a routine play that he botched. It was a bad throw that was down the baseline. Pulled Joey off the bag. Joey tried to make a tag. Didn't quite work. Um, That happened in the most recent game that I'm remembering. But also I was talking with Lance a little bit about this because Cowboy just absolutely went in on him and like was very poignant of his criticism of Spencer Steer. He's just like, you're supposed to be the everyday third baseman and you're making a lot of easy mental mistakes. But I will also say like spring is where you want to make those mistakes and you just kind of get those under, you know, get get those out of the way early. And I don't think it's an error issue. I, I think, listen, if... He, there's no chance that he is a worse fielder than Edwin Encarnacion. There's no chance. Edwin Encarnacion was abysmal at third base. And had the DH existed in the National League back then, I low-key wonder if we ever would have traded him for Scott Rowland or if he would have just made, 
or stayed on the team until he became a free agent or whatever, but we would have seen that renaissance with his bat in Cincinnati. Spencer Steer can really hit. And while we don't necessarily project him as an everyday player at a certain position, whenever this team has a good roster that is good enough that we start talking playoffs, I still think that that bat plays and you got to get that bat in the lineup somehow. And right now the Reds just don't have a third baseman. So I think that you live with below average defense. I don't think Spencer Steer is bad at defense. I don't either. I think he plays, you know, average defense at multiple positions, which is Mm -hmm. an above average benefit to the Reds, if that makes any sense. BR7 says after the game the other night, he's worried about Steer. Uh, Cowboy said he wasn't hustling down the line to first. Uh, That worries him and all the bad plays. It makes BR7 wonder um this is interesting to me because i have not really heard a lot of negative talk surrounding spencer steer i mean in fact your whole gear of the steer to drink beer while you cheer whatever it is that you were doing um has been positive considering him to be in contention to be a rookie of the year let's be clear spencer steer is here and he's going to be don't phenomenal uh <laughs> he's i i i think it was just it was one of those days like i mean baseball players are people too people have days you know you have a day at work i have a day at work that it's just like did anything go right that day no but you know what we got tomorrow all right malachi back in the feed talking about which of the two that we talked about with the extension has a brighter future is it stevenson or india the see here's the I don't how, know how to say this without ending up in the Jeff H. Jonathan India fan club. I feel like I feel like Jonathan India is more easily replaced. I'm not saying that Jonathan India is not good. I'm not saying that Jonathan India is not a valuable component to this team. And I love how you know he's worked on himself in the offseason. He's trying to be a leader. He's trying to really help move this team forward as far as being better. But I think you can go replace that guy. I think you can go get another of these young prospects to give you an equal amount of defense, to give you an equal amount of offense thus far that India has put up. Uh, I think you can find that. Finding a guy that can be the majority of the time your catcher, plus fill in at other positions, uh, add over, over a run per average scored when he's in the lineup versus when he's not you know all of those impacts from tyler stevenson i think make him much more valuable in this reds lineup much more valuable to this reds team and thus make him harder to replace if you don't keep him around so for me the answer is tyler stevenson man it's close and i i think that i think that the way that you laid that out i think i probably would lead like 51 percent stevenson 49 percent India, I think there's also a question to be had. What's more valuable, a RBI producer or the guy that's on base that the RBI producer scores? Like leadoff hitter or, you know, second, third, fourth hitter, something like that. Because I think Jonathan India has figured it out. And there's there's been articles that I've seen about will Jonathan India figure out what type of player he is? I think he's figured it out already. And we as fans are going to see it happen this year. He knows he's a leadoff hitter. He knows he's a catalyst. He knows he's a guy that needs to get on base and then can be dangerous on the base path. 
So you're talking about two different types of players. And it's very interesting to me how you would quantify that because the RBI producer isn't good at his job if there aren't RBIs to produce. So I, I kind of go back and forth as to who's more valuable. I think I'm with you. I think it's just slightly leaning toward Stevenson at this point, also because of the defense that we saw from India last year. But I am in the camp that I think that India will improve defensively and improve in the areas that he knows he can be good at this year. Malachi says if Stevenson can stay healthy, he believes he can be a top catcher in the league. Oh, that's a, and this, that's a given. And this brings me something I saw in the comments sometime this week. I think uh, there was a question about Tyler Stevenson and how will all of this moving around first base DH, all these things impact his ability to be selected as an all-star. And, you know, I thought that that was a good question, but I don't think that it will. I don't think that it will. I think that, you know, he's going to be there. That's going to be his primary position. Uh, As David Bell has said, he's going to catch roughly 40% of the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's going to be at first base a couple days a week. He'll get some more starts at designated hitter, but he's going to be listed as a catcher. He's going to be voted on as a catcher. And if managers select him, if he's not a top vote getter, uh, he's going to be uh, added to the team uh, by another manager as a catcher. Yeah, I, I go back through like the last 15 or so years. Like Yadier Molina was a designated hitter as much as he was a catcher last year, I think. I'd have to actually confirm that. I might be wrong. But I know for a fact Joe Maurer played first base as much as he played catcher in some years where he was considered, you know, for different awards and all-star games and things like that. So I don't, I don't think that this will negatively affect Tyler Stevenson's ability to be recognized by his peers and, and by folks around major league baseball. Carlton says Stevenson was throwing really, really well before he got hurt. Uh, he doesn't think that Stevenson's ever going to be a power guy, but he thinks it'll be a run producer. Like you were saying, I think the power is going to come. I think a lot of the gap power that Stevenson has, you know, he's able to shoot the ball in the gap, a lot of doubles, a lot of hits off the wall. I think that some of that is tired legs. Uh, You know, the guy is catching a lot. If he has fresher legs, I think that power is going to come. You know, you know, the hitting through the hips, the being able to drive the ball. I think that's going to make an appearance. And I know it hasn't yet in spring training, but it's early. I think, I think come July, he could be launching some home runs at Great American Ballpark. It's just a guess on my part from what I've been seeing and what I think is going on. But we'll see if I'm right, because I I think he could be a a, a home run guy. He clobbered one the other day. I think it was against the Royals, Um, but he he clobbered one the other day. My question, my question to you would be if his hitting profile mirrored that of Sean Casey, would he be a success or would he be a disappointment based on what his prospect ranking was? Oh, maybe considered a because Sean Casey was never a home run guy, but he was a run producer. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's I don't know what I think of that, Jeff. I think that I don't want to say anything bad about Sean Casey. So, (laughs) no, no, and and I'm not joining the I'm not joining that club with you either. (laughs) No, 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 and 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 I'm not disparaging Sean Casey. I'm saying that Sean Casey had a different profile than most first basemen. I think Mm -hmm. that people liked to 
compare him to other power hitting first baseman and still try to belittle what he did because he wasn't a power hitting first baseman. But I think that Sean Casey was a good hitter. And I think that Tyler Stevenson is a good hitter because he can drive the ball to all fields. He can hit that extra base hit. It might not necessarily be a home run, but he can drop in a double whenever you got runners in scoring position. And there's been that discussion in recent years of, you know, and and the joke that, you know, a home runs a rally killer or something like that. Like, you know, if you've got guys on base and you're hitting doubles, is it more important than a guy who clears the bases with a home run? Not on the scoreboard, but there's like, you know, that whole momentum conversation. So I think in the long run, I think the point is Tyler Stevenson is a good hitter. And I think for people to kind of put it in a box and say, well, does he hit enough home runs to be a good hitter? That is a silly conversation. Yeah, and and to your Sean Casey thing, you know, yeah, he was much more how Morris than he was Big Poppy for sure. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Ted Vaughn asks the over under <laughs> number of times, I guess, over the over under number of times David Bell will have the same lineup three days in a row. I, Ted, I is this like once, like at any point during the season, will we have point? three lineups? Yeah. For it to be over under, it have to be. I don't know that it'll happen ever. I don't know that. You gotta. I don't think that'll ever happen. I mean, for it to happen. All right, let's. For them to have the same lineup three days in a row. Health. uh, The and right-handed pitching. Well, exactly. That's exactly what I was gonna say. They're gonna have to have an opposing pitcher of the same-handed side three days in a row. So probably a right-handed pitcher, and everybody's gonna have to be healthy. Um. And I'm going to go out to say that they're not going to start Stevenson as an example, three days in a row at catcher. They're going to, you know, one of those three days, he'll be at one of the other spots, which would make a change in the lineup. I, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think the lineup will be the same three days in a row, the entire season. Yeah. that's, that's interesting because you think in 162 game season, you might get a point where, the manager is comfortable with that, but we are talking about David Bell. David Bell loves to tinker even when his roster is playoff worthy. I mean, lest we forget, Scott Heineman started in this lineup whenever Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker and all those guys were here. So I, I don't think so either. I, just to be contrary, I'll say it happens once. I think we're going back to some Derek Law talk here. Uh, Jeff, as far as the last guy in the bullpen, let's get yeah, give me Derek Law. I'm telling you, there are if if we're if we're only saying him versus Hunter Strickland or over all those other guys we talked about too. Bennett is there Alex Young? Is there anyone on this roster? And and I might say. I don't even know that I'd say this because he's been, he's been bad because at the beginning of spring training, I had a guy that I was like, okay, he's a non-roster invitee, but I would kind of like to see him make the roster. And that's Tehran Guerrero because of the 104 mile an hour fastball. The only problem is he's been very bad with his command. So I don't know that I'm interested in seeing that. I still think I'd rather see him over Hunter Strickland, but is there anyone that you can think of that would be on this roster right now that you would rather see Hunter Strickland over that guy? No, uh, and Tehran Guerrero, I think, already got sent out to minor league camp yeah, right yeah, after coming back, right? So, you know, no, for me, that last spot in the bullpen, 
needs to be the best of whatever other lefty is available. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that saying that it's going to be a great pitcher? Probably not. You know, is Bennett Souza somebody I think is reliable all the time? No, I think he'll get blown up at times. But I, I really just think they need a second left-hander down there. And, you know, you just take the best one of the options available to you as far as I'm concerned. When I've come around on the discussion about the second left-hander too, because part of this bullpen is just like the rest of the roster. We got to figure out what we got. And there is no one on this list other than Alexis Diaz that I know what we have. And I feel like if the Reds are going to make the decision to put Hunter Strickland on the roster because they know what they have, then they're saying that they're okay with their bullpen being bad. Because we know Hunter Strickland is bad. <laughs> I was Listen, talking to a Brewers Hunter, guy the other day who said the same thing. He His best season was as a Brewer, and the Brewers guy I was talking with, who's about to be our Lockdown Brewers host next week, guy named Chuck Freeman, he said, Hunter Strickland's bad. <laughs> Hey, listen, he can pitch twice a day. He can allow inherited runners to score at least two times a day, Jeff. What are you talking about? Gosh. <laughs> Ronnie Snyder says, with Tyler Stevenson catching, Jose Barrero at second base, Ellie De La Cruz at shortstop, and Benson in center, they could have the best middle defense in all of baseball. That's that's not bad middle defense. I mean, that that's really good defense up the middle. Um so then we got Indian left field. I India would or designated hitter or designated there's hitter, other yeah. spots to put India. Um, that is really a good defensive combination. I don't know. I don't know if they would make that move to Jose Barrero at second base. What do you think on that? I think that if Jose Barrero is not playing shortstop, he's probably playing center field. And that would be as the right hand of platoon to Will Benson, who I I almost want them out of the gate to just play him every day. I, I almost don't want them to expect Will Benson to need a platoon partner because throughout his minor league career, he hasn't needed one other than the slugging. Uh, I've mentioned this a couple of different times. His batting average and his on-base percentage does not fall off gratuitously like Jake Fraley or, and, and I was wrong about TJ Friedel. TJ Friedel actually has better splits against left-handed pitching than he does right-handed. Um, and I forget who called me out on the comments. So I appreciate them for doing that. But um, but Jake Fraley just he can't hit left-handed pitching whatsoever. But I think that Jose Barrero is a guy that if he doesn't stick at shortstop and they think it's time to switch him for Ellie de la Cruz, they're gonna send him down to triple A and they're gonna find another position to maybe try him out at. But yeah, second base could be interesting. They they would just have they'd have to move India to DH or outfield. Jared on vinyl says Alex Young should be in the bullpen without a doubt. Uh, if we're comparing, uh, I don't know if without a doubt as a blanket statement flies with me, but if we're just talking about the final left-hander in the bullpen, compare for me, Jeff, Alex Young versus Bennett Souza. Which one do you take and why? Six, one half dozen the other, I guess. I don't know. I, I've been more impressed with what I've seen from Alex Young. I don't think we've seen enough. From Bennett Souza, the only problem is one is on the 40-man roster, Bennett Souza, and the other is not, Alex Young. So, but that just means you would flip-flop the two. Like, if you don't think Bennett Souza is the guy, then you drop him and you pick up Alex Young. So that's not a huge deal there. Um, I think if I were picking between the two, I would pick Alex Young. But the only 
two guys that I would add to the bullpen without a doubt right now. And it's only because Tony Santion's hurt. The only two guys I'd add to the bullpen without a doubt is Alexis Diaz and Lucas Sims. Well, Dennis checks in and wants to talk about Fernando Cruz. He thinks Fernando Cruz should be a part of this bullpen. I think I saw Fernando on C Trent's bullpen mm-hmm. projection list. He's pitched well in I the think. world baseball classic. Right. Um, I could see Cruz making being in this bullpen. That's the thing, too, is that he was on C Trent's prediction, and so was Hunter Strickland. So Fernando Cruz was in the bullpen, and still somehow Hunter Strickland made it. So there's just, I mean, when you think about it, because you're going to have five starters, you're going to have 13 pitchers, so you have eight bullpen spots. You've got Alexis Diaz and Lucas Sims for sure, uh, probably most likely Revar San Martin and Buck Farmer. So then you got four spots. You're probably including Ian Jabot. Um, you're probably including Fernando Cruz. So you got two spots left. And I would hope that we're talking about Joe Kunal and, you know, Alex Young or Bennett Souza, not Joe Kunal and Hunter Strickland or one of the lefties and Hunter Strickland. It just, you get down to those final two spots and it gets really, really difficult to convince yourself that the Reds aren't just going to give one of them to Hunter Strickland. This talking about Hunter Strickland, I think, um, (laughs) says I once went to lunch with my boss's boss. A couple of months later, I was promoted and he told me it was because I was the only one who wanted to go to lunch with him. Uh, I put this up because Hunter Strickland and David Bell have a history. And that history goes, no, but that history goes back to, I want to, I want to, I forget what year they overlap somewhere, but they're, they have a history that could be a part of it. I mean, I do think all managers really believe in him, you know, like he could just believe in him. And I, I, I don't No, And, and, and there's obvious, and we keep joking about it. I don't think there's a nefarious connection here. I think that there is a, a wholesome connection between David Bell and Hunter Strickland. It's just, we don't see it because all we see is what he does on the field and what he does on the field is very unimpressive. So why we continue to try and see if that's going to change is beyond me, but you know, Sag has a point, you know, there's probably something to this relationship with David Bell. I mean, remember dusty had his guys, dusty Mm -hmm. had his Jerry Harrison's and his Corey Patterson's and, and guys like that, that we were just kind of like, Maybe like Jerry Harrison when he was fine. Corey Patterson was a little erratic with his performances and, and things like that, but he just might be his guy. Yeah, I don't know. David Brown checks in on the Davy Concepcion conversation. Uh, he says Concepcion was trying to get at bats with Woodward and uh, Chaney as his competition. The big difference uh, the Reds competition now at shortstop. Uh, yeah, I think this is what I was saying earlier too, Jeff. That I, I mean. Listen, I don't really think there's anything that Jose Barrero can do to end up being the long-term shortstop of this team if Ellie De La Cruz hits. I I mean, I don't think it matters what Jose Barrero does. And I think you're right. At the end of the day, somebody's moving to the outfield. And Jose Barrero showed that he might could develop some chops out there. Uh, He wasn't Mm. awful all the time. He played center. So. He played center. I mean, again, so did Jesse Winker. So we don't but I have mean, a, like we're, we don't have we, a high bar, but he did play a decent outfield. Like we 
we do this a lot and, and we've done this a lot with Matt McClain where we're like, well, he played center field in college. Jose Barrero did it in the major leagues. So he's got an argument where our positioning is concerned, you know, as opposed to some other guy, like, you know, whenever we, whenever we briefly mentioned that Spencer steer could play in the outfield, we did that once at triple A. So <laughs> I'm not necessarily making that part of the consideration here. Jose Barrero has done that. So if he were to move positions, I think that would be the first choice for the Reds, but they are moving into an era. I, I really think, and I don't think that this is just over optimistic bravado on my part for the Reds. I really think Will Benson's going to be something here. I really think he's going to take a hold of center field. And we're not just going to continue to talk about that as a position where, hey, you know what? If this guy doesn't figure it out at this position, he could play center field. Like, Will Benson's going to be that guy. Jared talking about Jonathan India says, India's look good in spring, good at bats, making good contact, still needs to work on his range at second base. Uh, But he says he will definitely be a bounce back season for Jonathan India. And he thinks Jonathan could be a top on base percentage guy in the National League. What do you think, Jeff? Top on base percentage guy? I think he'll he'll approach it. Um, maybe not the top top, but probably tops for second baseman. I mean, even through the struggle that we know last year to be, his career on base percentage is still thirty six percent. So I would love to see that continue and maybe even improve a little bit. He's got the ability to get on base and be a nuisance to pitchers on the base path. This is funny, Mark, when we were doing the transition, getting to the nitty gritty. Now kick out the audio, guys. That's funny. (laughs) Uh, Malachi asked, are we worried about Tyler Stevenson striking out a bunch and Jonathan India not being able to hit? Uh, Well, we were just talking about that. I I think Jonathan India is going to be fine. Um, uh, I don't know how great he's going to be, but he's going to be fine. Um, I think the injuries really are a lot of what went wrong for him in that sophomore season. Uh, I'm not worried about Tyler Stevenson striking out a bunch. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have that long loopy swing. I mean, he's not really selling out everything to be a home run guy. I think the power is going to come naturally just from, like I was saying earlier, his legs being better, but I don't think he's going to try to be a power hitter and, and strike out more because of it. I'm I'm not worried about that. And I think that Tyler Stevenson is a smart player. And just down the locker row from him is Joey Votto, who's one of the smartest hitters that ever lived. And I'm sure that he's picked his brain a time or two. And there's been very few players who have been less inspiring in spring training than Joey Votto. Joey Votto's spring training numbers are abysmal, but that's because he uses spring training to really get his eye in tune and ready for the regular season. And I think Tyler Stevenson is probably doing the same thing. Plus the other part of that question is striking out a bunch in today's game is completely different than it used to be. Like there's a lot of guys who strike out a lot. You know, who strikes out a bunch Jose Barrero. I mean, to be completely honest, I know that we talked about, you know, what do we not know about him? I know for a fact that what he has shown so far in 282 at bats is he has struck out 119 times. There's no debating that. So that percentage is a little bit too crazy. And I would love to see that come down just a smidge. But when it comes to striking out a bunch, Tyler Stevenson is nowhere near 
what we consider a bunch in today's baseball. Oh, there was a strikeout dating joke that you could have zinged me with and you didn't. So I appreciate you. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> who's going to lead in strikeouts? Thanks. Thanks for not doing that to me this time. I, I appreciate oh, you. Yeah, Joseph no. Nelson uh, says great show as usual. He wanted our opinion on who do we think is the better defensive shortstop Newman or Barrero? I think Barrero based on who he could be. Um, and I think right even now, Barrero, no, right think, now today, I think Barrero's baseline is better than Newman. I think Newman is a solid defender. I think Barrero could be a gold glove defender. Um, yeah, I think, I think they're equal footing. I, I would say that, you know, it's what we said earlier, six and one half dozen of the other, right? Like, I think they're on equal footing. I think that the ceiling for Jose Barrero is a lot more than the ceiling for Kevin Newman. Uh, but I think right now, either one of those guys that you, when you run them out there are going to give you adequate defense up the middle. It's not going to be lights out, but it's going to be adequate for, I mean, for reference, like Jose Barrero has 282 career at bats, less than 300 career plate appearances. Kevin Newman has 1,663 plate appearances and 1,545 at-bats. Kevin Newman has exactly like two wins above replacement more than Jose Barrero does. And Kevin Kevin Newman's career war is 1.1. So, or I'm sorry, I think I looked at that wrong. It's, it's, it's just a smidge over two. So Kevin Newman and, and comparing Kevin Newman and Jose Barrero is you are comparing like the parachute for Jose Barrero. They brought Kevin Newman in in case Jose Barrero bottoms out and Ellie De La Cruz isn't ready to be called up yet. They didn't bring him in to have a competition with Jose Barrero. Jose Barrero is going to be the opening day shortstop. It just depends on how long he keeps that role. BR7 says all great teams have great team chemistry. And if the Reds can get that, I don't see why they can't kick the kick butt this year um but yeah i think that's what jonathan india's i think that's, that's kind of what he's kidding. been trying to say i mean yeah. you know he's talked openly about how deflated and derailed the team was after the trades last year and just the entire chemistry being off and things being just so different and their friends gone and etc cetera, etc cetera. um so i think that's part of what india has been talking about uh, when he talks about being a leader and and trying to be a different guy this season. So, you know, I, I agree with this. If if India is successful in helping to foster a close-knit group in this clubhouse, which is going to be difficult because, as Jeff keeps telling all of you guys, the roster that breaks camp is going to be a very different-looking team probably as early as June, I would say. Yeah. I, I really think the influx of the young guys starts in June. So it's never really going to be a settled roster all year long, which makes guys like India that will be around the whole time, guys like Stevenson who will be around the whole time, uh, and even behind the scenes, guys like Votto who have been around a long time. It really adds to the importance of them being able to create uh, inclusive environment for these young players as they come in. And, you know, the days, the days in Major League Baseball of true hazing are over. You know, we see some things that are usually done in good fun, 
with the rookies and but it's not like the old days right it's it's much more inclusive and welcoming so i think that the the veterans now in india and stevenson that seems so weird the <laughs> veterans in those guys are, are gonna be largely responsible for creating that chemistry and keeping that group together and 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 building those bonds as these young prospects come in throughout the year well and let's kind of put that put that idea to the test they they said you know we started off last year just so confused and flat because of all of the roster moves and things like that like obviously they started the season the second worst start in the history of baseball at three and 22 in the month of may they were above 500 and i think in the month of june they were above 500 as well it's just when you're 19 games under 500 that doesn't matter you've got to be dramatically above 500 to offset that but the fact that it seemed like they were starting to come together as a team in May and June and even parts of July before they started trading people, that I think there's something to that. And I think that while it's not going to equate to a playoff team this year, it's also not going to equate to a 100 loss team that I have seen some folks being like, oh, this team is awful. They're garbage. They're not going to win a bunch. This team is going to be much better this year than they were last year. I just need them to be four wins better. That's, that's yeah. where we're at. They have to win 60, 66 games, Jeff. That's, that's that my magic number. And if they hit that say. 80 wins, we are just, I don't know. We might have a party on, on, on a podcast where you and I just scream for 30 seconds or 30 minutes. Just Blanton's, <laughs> Blanton's podcast. Is that what we're doing? We're just going to yeah, open the most up our Eagle Rares. podcast you ever heard of, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should do that one time. That one won't make it into know, the audio. Anybody feed, guys. wants to hear that. The, but yeah. one's gonna... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's see what else we got. I like there's So there's, there's a lot of comparisons going on in the chat, Jeff. And here's, here's one I think is interesting. Chris th wants to ask about Noel V. Marte. Uh, do we think Marte is better than Barrero? And maybe not right this second. Um, I think the, he looked good in spring. The I think the power has got to come along just a little bit more. I think ultimately, um, you know, if you're asking, will Marte end up as an infielder on the Cincinnati Reds and Barrero not, I would say that's probably likely. Uh, I still, like I was saying earlier, I think Barrero is going to move someplace else, but I think Marte could be a, a higher ceiling player. Does that track only, for you? The only thing I have with this one is if we're thinking Ellie de la Cruz comes up and takes shortstop and maybe you move Barrero to third base, then we compare the two because I think the Reds need to officially change the designation of Noel V. Marte. Like I'm still seeing him on prospect list as a shortstop. He is not a shortstop anymore. He's a third baseman. Like That's correct. they have made that clear through the Arizona fall league and what they have been doing in spring training. He's going to play third base. He's not going to play shortstop because there's so many different guys that are better defensively at shortstop, but Noel V. Marte's bat is still going to play well at that third base spot. So I think overall, if you're telling me in a realm of reality where Jose Barrera moves to third base and he's compared to Noel V. Marte, I think Noel V. Marte has a better career than Jose Barrera. And, and I think the Reds should keep that in mind. You, that's, that's something that's been kind of rattling around in my head. If you're going to move Jose Barrero, Move him one time. Look, one look time down the yeah. Look down the line at the system. So don't move Barrero from shortstop to third, and then from third to part-time second base, and then from second base to the outfield. Don't 
force him into some utility pigeonhole that he's not really equipped to play right now. Don't, right. don't, don't Nick Senzel him. Uh, but if you're going to find another spot for him, identify it and it's going to be outfield. We can look down the system right now and see the weakness is in the outfield. So make that conversion, but don't, don't screw around with a little bit of third base, a little bit of second base, a little bit of shortstop, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I don't like that. I, I think right. if they really want him to be a capable major league baseball player at a certain position, just put him there already. And you know, he can play all three outfield positions. So outfield for me is where his finish line is. Yeah. I think that if he doesn't stick on a shortstop this season, yeah, outfield, I would agree. That's where you're going to move. So Carrick Melvin checks in and this is interesting Upgrade. statement. And I really want to, uh, I want to get your reaction to this. Jeff Carrick says Barrero is the second best defensive shortstop in the system. Arroyo is number one. Mm -hmm. So Edwin Arroyo, he's, I think high a, he's going to be at this year. Edwin yeah. Arroyo? He's starting in Dayton. Starting in Dayton. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what Tom Nichols was telling us. He's going to be there in Dayton. I agree with that. Um, my only and 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 if we're just talking about defensively, I know that Jose Torres was also considered a very good defensive player. It's just they moved him to second base because he was on the same team with Ellie De La Cruz, so they wanted Ellie De La Cruz to play shortstop. Uh, based on how everyone has scouted these players, that is what it is like Jose Barrera's got a better glove than Ellie De La Cruz. It's just, if his bat continues to be around the 200 marker below, I think that there's a realm of reality where they're just like, all right, we know that we can port his defense into the outfield. Maybe he can go down to triple a and continue to work on his new adjustments and maybe figure it out with the bat. And then we can call him up and see if he can play the outfield but we're going to give the shortstop position to Ellie De La Cruz. I think in a couple of years as well as Ellie De La Cruz, and, and this is a conversation for down the line once he is a major leaguer, but as Ellie De La Cruz, you know, continues to, you know, strength and bulk up and things like that, he's going to be too big to play shortstop. I think it just gets almost elementary at that point that when you're six, five and just, uh, and just a behemoth, you really aren't a shortstop anymore. So Edwin Arroyo may become that shortstop in a couple of years. But again, he's not he's not close to the major leagues like L.A. De La Cruz is. Jared on vinyl says Arroyo is the second coming of Lindor. I love that. <laughs> I would take. I'll take that. Speaking <laughs> of Lindor, that. are you guys watching the World Baseball Classic? I know Jeff and I are watching the World Baseball mm -hmm. Classic. Did you see Lindor's Little League home run? That was great. That was a lot of fun. It was. This, listen, the world. I I know. I, let's talk about the World Baseball Classic for just a minute. Um, yeah, because I, I'm super interested in it. I think it's so much fun. I, I, I will tell you that people may say that baseball, you know, started as America's pastime, America's game, whatever you want to say. We are doing it all wrong as fans. If you yeah. want to figure out how to do it as fans, watch the Puerto Rico Venezuela game or watch the watch Japanese watch these fans, latin yeah. yes the energy i mean someone someone tweeted like this feels like playoff baseball it's better than playoff baseball the energy in the stands for these international competition games is better than we see in the world series in the united states the energy from the fans i love the world baseball classic and i understand major league baseball fans teams executives 
players themselves, as far as pitchers go, reluctance to want to really go all out in the World Baseball Classic. And I understand why you wouldn't want to pause the season around the all-star break and let pitchers go pitch in this international competition. I get it. That being said, I really want them to stop the season in July and play the world baseball classic. Yeah. It's so there, much fun. There's something to it. And, and I mean, you know, watching different, you know, games for Japan or maybe Chinese Taipei, or like you said, like Puerto Rico, Venezuela, something like that. Like those fans have like songs for players that they sing. It's almost like a soccer match. Like you hear different soccer fans and, and you know, they're chanting and they're singing and things like that. And at baseball games, like you, you equate the atmosphere at a baseball game to just like a really laid back, like chill vibe. It's pretty quiet unless something awesome happens and everybody's standing up and cheering. And then they go back to sitting down and just chilling. That's not how those fans roll. Like Japanese fans have a song for every player. And they're up and they're singing and they're chanting and it's, they're just in for every single moment. And I remember different discussions about, you know, extending the netting down the foul line and stuff and protecting fans. And I, I think that's a great idea. Protecting fans is, is a, a good idea. But some of the reasoning they were using is, well, you know, fans are on their phones and they're talking to each other and they're not paying attention to the game. And it's just like, that's not what these international fans are doing, man. Like around the world, these fans, the way they watch baseball, it, it puts us to shame. It puts American baseball fans to shame. And I mean, I, I don't know. And I don't know that we could get this started at great American ballpark, at least this year, but it'd be fun to have different songs for different players and things like, and chants and stuff to get in, get involved in whenever you're at great American ballpark, because that would just create such an amazing atmosphere. Bowtie bar karaoke. That's exactly bar, what we yeah, need. Yeah, there we go. That is exactly <laughs> what we need. <laughs> All right. We're we're pushing up against the hour and a half mark, Jeff. Let's take just a couple more. Um, I've let this one run a kind of long because it's the last one for this offseason. So uh we'll we'll do a few more. Uh Mr. E, I want to circle back to Aristides Aquino because this uh, this is important. This is an important point that we're going to get into right here. Mr. E says about Aquino that Aquino was starting to hit at the end of last season and he will be a top player in Japan. Yes, he will be a top player in Japan, but do not get it twisted. Folks, the Japanese baseball league, while good is not major league baseball. It is not an equivalent league. It is not a, it's, it's four a, yeah. we're going to call it four a it's better than triple a in America. It is not good. It is not as good as major league baseball. Every time the Reds have sent Aristides Aquino down to AAA, he has hit the baseball because he is a classic 4A player. Not yes. quite good enough to be a full-time major leaguer, a little bit better than the AAA guys in the system. He's going to thrive in Japan, but don't confuse that with the Reds of having missed out on him or given up on him too soon or done anything wrong with the handling of Aristides Aquino. I maintain that because the outfield situation was so jacked up during Aristides Aristides Aquino's time in Cincinnati, he got way more opportunity than he ever should have been given. And yes, he had a cannon for an arm and could throw the baseball very hard, very far, very fast. And that's great. But he could not hit the broadside of a barn outside of that wild August when he came up and nobody knew who he was. So don't, don't get confused when you see 
what Aristides Aquino does in Japan. I will, I will be shocked if he's not one of their top players, but he's always been a top for a player. And I also think too, when it comes to Aquino, I kind of had him marked as a change of scenery guy that would probably benefit from that because when he came up as a red, he hit all those home runs in his first month and he thought he knew everything. So that when major league pitchers finally adjusted to him, he's just like, well, I know everything. I'm going to figure this out. Just never did. And, and, and people gave him advice. And, you know, we had that thing last year where Eric Davis was on a television broadcast saying that he just doesn't listen. It's because when he debuted, he had all of the success right away and he thought he knew everything. And so when he goes somewhere else where it's totally different people that he doesn't know an environment he's not used to, and people are telling him the same things that reds coaches were telling him for years, he's going to be like, you know what? Maybe they had a point and I'll make those adjustments that they're telling me to make. And we could see him pop off. That still doesn't mean that I think that the reds will have missed out on him because I think that for him personally, that had to happen because if he had stayed with the Reds, he would never would have made those adjustments. And mm-hmm. I, I would love for him to figure it out. And I would love for him to go crazy wherever he ends up. But at the end of the day, it was never going to be as a Red. Dave Pemberton. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Dave checks in and says, do we think the 2023 attendance at Great American Ballpark will be above or below? Here's an over under for you, Jeff. Uh, The historic low at the ballpark. Currently on one of my favorite apps, who's actually about to become a sponsor next week, but uh, one of my favorite ticketing apps, opening day tickets are below $100. Actually, there's a couple of that are below 80. I think that's a bad sign for this for this uh, for this line. Now, could Ellie De La Cruz come up and go crazy, and could you know some prospects come up and really just go crazy? CES, Matt McLean, possibly, but I think that lags behind. Like if they have a good month, you're still talking about the next month before people really start to buy in. I could see it being over, but by like single digits. (laughs) Well, I'm going to take the over on this one because my buddy Jeff told me never pass over a good over, right? (laughs) Like, but no, here's why. Um, There's going to be prospects debut in 2023. Every time that happens, there's going to be a little bump in attendance Uh, by July. We're going to know what's happening with Joey Votto. We're going to know if there's a little farewell tour going on or not. And I suspect even if he's playing well, it's probably going to be some type of farewell tour. Um, Now that I've purchased it, I've already bought tickets to the final home game of the season because that's probably going to be Joey Votto's last game as a red. Uh, I think people are going to come out for that. All of those things will keep them from setting a new historic low. Now, I'm not saying attendance is going to be great. Jeff, I don't think we're going to have any problem finding our favorite rail to stand on when we're at games. But I don't think they're going to hit a new historic low because of those things. No, I, I think lots about this team are going to improve a lot more than people think they will. Attendance might be the last one of them to improve the way that they, the way that we hope they could, but 
for you and me and for diehard fans and for folks who want to be at the ballpark every day, which that's a group that continues to get smaller by the year. Uh, but those, those folks are going to find some good ticket prices to get into the stadium. Overall, though, I think that by the end of the season, we are going to be seeing the roster that is going to be here for multiple years. We're going to see the core that is going to get this team back to the postseason, and everybody understands that what's going to happen at the end of this year is going to be so impactful for years to come. I've already seen plenty of people in the comments just like, why did they send down CES? Or why did they send down Matt McClain? Or why did they send down Ellie De La Cruz? They should just let them play because these veteran retreads that they keep throwing out there aren't going to be anything at all. And I would rather see these young kids play and maybe, you know, struggle a little bit, learn their ropes, get ready for the major leagues at the major league level than to continue watch some retread guy like Hunter Strickland fail and just waiting on the future. All right, we're going to take two more and then we're going to get out of here, folks. We have crossed the hour and a half mark. Uh, thank you guys so much. The chat is still blowing up. I can't, there's no way we're going to get through even a smidgen of what's left. So I'm going to take just a couple more. Uh, Ken Waller says, Jeff, you keep referring to the team being above 500 in May, uh, but then they traded the four best guys and they didn't replace them. That's another reason why this team's going to be better and why I was confident in that they are going to win four more games, 66, four more games this season. They're going to be better. Uh, they're not, there's not going to be a great offloading of talent. I mean, realistically, Will Myers, if he performs at Great American Ballpark, could be a trade guy. And if they get lucky on a dude like Pinder or if they get lucky on somebody needing Beaver, some shortstop yeah. depth and maybe Newman, they could offload Newman. But none, none of the everyday starter guys that are on this team in July starting baseball games, I think need to worry about being traded. I, I just I don't see that. So the chemistry is not going to get disrupted. Uh, as you say, Ken, the talent's not going to be shipped off and then not replaced. Uh, I, I really, you know, Jeff, you make me crazy because you and your ridiculous stake bets and 80 win whatever's that you're doing. Um, it takes me a while to catch up with your crazy ass optimism. But like I sit back and I think about it later and I'm like, all right. Jeff's a little overzealous. Jeff's a little excitable, but 70 wins is really not that big a stretch. Right. When you start talking 75, 80, you lose me just a skosh. Like, you know, are they 15 wins better in 2023 than they were in 2022? And then I'm like, well, if they don't have to start Mark Colesbury at catcher, <laughs> yeah and taylor Motter is not playing third base they might we don't be, have tj zoik on the mound they might be 10 to 15 games ah man you make me crazy so <laughs> i'm willing i'm willing to go on board with 70 wins being reasonable as a ceiling well and, let's and then not anything look after that's gravy anything after that is just woo but Let's not even look at a whole season. What do you think is more likely to happen? This team will go on multiple 10-game win streaks or this team will go on multiple 10-game losing streaks? Because I think... Win streaks. Yeah. 
I think wins starting the starting pitching. There's enough great guys in that rotation to bust up losing streaks. So, and I just don't see how they repeat April. I mean, listen, it's, it's I, I just, yeah, I, I just, I mean, and I've seen a couple bad Aprils. Was it like 2018 that they started out pretty close to that bad? Like they One won five 19, games. I think yeah. Brian Price was Brian Price was the manager. They lost. Yeah. They only won like five games in April, something like that. So I mean, it happens. But I just they're good. They've got to win more games in April. I, I just and that's just the law of averages. That's not us it, being optimistic. That's like literally like me crazy. <laughs> Everybody. Then I get lumped in with you all the time with your crazy optimism. And it's like, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> anyway, I'm just, I'm just be- ready. I'm ready to get me a stake this year. They're going to win 75, at least 75. Games. So I'm, Debbie I'm Brown's with us again today. Uh, Debbie, thanks for always being here on Fridays. We appreciate you. She says she's watching. It was heartbreaking watching yeah, Edwin get hurt and Alexis crying. I hope the U S does good. Uh, talking about the Puerto Rico fans, that man, that game was fun to watch. It mm-hmm. just was so much fun to watch. But yeah, if you're not watching the World Baseball Classic, you are definitely missing out. All right, I'm going to try and find a good question to end on here, Jeff. Um, while I'm doing that, uh, talk about next weekend, the start of the season, what we've got coming up, and then I'll, I'll have a question for us. Yeah, we've got a lot of great stuff coming up down the pipe. In fact, um, coming up, not next Monday, but the Monday after that, Monday, March 20. 20- Seventh, we're going to be live, or I'm going to be live at Fretboard Brewery in Blue Ash with Mo Egger from ESPN 1530 and 700 WLW. Uh, come out and meet us live and in person. That'll be great. Um, unfortunately, Steve is coming into town that week. He's just going to be coming in a couple of days late, so he won't be able to be at Fretboard with us. But we're going to be live and in person at Fretboard Brewery in Blue Ash, one of my favorite breweries in the city of Cincinnati. If you've never been to Fretboard, like little bit of free advertising they've got just amazing beer and great barbecue there and a great atmosphere as well they do a lot of a lot of live music uh concerts and events and things like that uh and they do a great job whenever it comes to presenting like sports like right now you could go there they have multiple televisions to watch the ncaa tournament on uh but fretboard march 27th in the evening that's a monday so it's definitely going to be in the evening waiting on a specific time but i think it's going to be like probably seven o'clock six or seven o'clock eastern time at fretboard we're going to be live and in person and then of course like i mentioned monday we're going to be talking a little bit more about the opening day roster and those extension ideas that malachi brought up and 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 shouted out because i think i saw like an update on my phone or something from the athletic about this article but the idea of a couple of five-year extensions where the numbers look very tantalizing for Tyler Stevenson and Jonathan India. We're going to talk about what that could mean for the Reds coming up on Monday's episode. All right, here's where we're going to end. Cody is asking about moving Jonathan India to third base and playing Steer at second. Uh, I don't know. I, I think in this is interesting, actually. Uh, what do you think on this, Jeff? I, I think if we keep India around and all of these prospects that are coming up, come up, I feel like India becomes an outfielder or a designated hitter. I think he eventually gets squeezed off the infield. My only, and and this is even a reservation about moving him to left field, but my only reservation with the idea of moving him back to third base is I believe initially he was moved to second base because his arm wasn't that great. Like it was fine to below average. 
and a below average arm at third base, which I think probably Spencer Steer is right there as well. But if you're swapping those two guys, it's still only going to be short term. It's going to be until either Matt McLean is ready to come up and play second base or Noelvi Marte is ready to come and play third base. Because I think ultimately the move, if you're moving Jonathan India, is the left field. But it's it's the arm that gives me pause. Because at second base, you don't need to have a good arm. You just need to have good range and a good glove and good reflexes. And then you can just flip it to first base whenever you need to. So I think that would exacerbate some deficiencies in his fielding profile more so than it would help Spencer steer. And again, I still think these are, these are, you know, spring training bugaboos that he's getting out of the way. And I don't necessarily think that his fielding is going to be the problem in the regular season that some people have made it out to be over the last week. All right. Well, on that note, that's going to be the last question, folks. Look, these Aloha lives have been so much fun and just shout out Love to it. you guys yep. because you make, you what make them so great. If you haven't turned your notifications on here on YouTube, turn them on. There's going to be lives, guys. We are going to be here live. We just aren't going to schedule them. I'm going to jump on and do some pregame stuff. Uh, Jeff's going to jump on and do some post-game stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to jump on together when we're available and do some things. So make sure you have hit the notifications. We want you guys here because you're what really drives this thing. Uh, this has been so much fun. Can't wait to bring it back again next offseason. Uh, but that's going to do it for this offseason's coverage of the Aloha Live Friday shows. We're going to be with you five days a week throughout the season with podcasts and YouTube videos, just like we always are. None of that's changing. We're just not going to be live on every Friday. They'll be in your, the Friday show will be in your feed just like all the rest during the week. And with that being said, Jeff, uh, present your closing arguments and wrap us up. Steve, that'll do it for us here on our final Aloha Friday until next off season. Thanks everybody for joining in. Thanks for your comments, your questions and everything. I know we didn't get to nearly everybody because I mean, we just had so many people in the comment area. Thank you so much for that. Uh, coming up on Monday, like we said, we'll talk about the opening day roster. We'll talk a little bit about extension ideas for India and Stevenson, and we'll be all over what's going on in spring training for your Cincinnati Reds. Now make sure you go check out Locked On Fantasy Baseball. For those of you that love to play fantasy baseball, Matt and Dom will have you covered every single day on the best strategies to help you win your league. That's Locked On Fantasy Baseball. It's just like Locked On Reds. It's free and available wherever you listen to podcasts and right here on YouTube. Steve, we are 13 days away. I know you couldn't count earlier, so I'll help you out. 13 days away from opening (laughs) day. And... We still have a few questions about what the roster could look like. So what's that mean for you and me? Well, that means that we are going to continue to monitor the transactions. We're going to continue to monitor the rumors, the waiver wires. Waiver wires are going to be interesting next week, folks. Things are starting to heat up. Be right here because Jeff and I are going to be dialed in on them. We will report back right here in your podcasting feeds and keep you locked on reds every single day. I think Jeff's going to get waved. Happy St. Patty.